Thank you, choir. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians. We begin this morning to uh, go through the book that Paul wrote to the church in the Asian city of Colossae. And it is a marvelous and wonderful book whose primary focus is the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was during his longest stay as a minister, three years, at the city of Ephesus, that through the Apostle Paul and those that he trained and sent out, the gospel penetrated the entire region that we call from that period of history Asia Minor. That spread through Asia Minor is recorded in the book of Acts, particularly chapter 19. And during this period of time, one of his co-workers, whose name was Epaphras, had started the church in the city of Colossae. Now apparently it was a large church, an aggressive and influential church. Uh, it was the church that originally had met in the home of Paul's friend Philemon, to whom the letter of Philemon was addressed, who was the master of the runaway slave Onesimus, who also served Paul. Apparently the growth of the church and the success of the gospel had drawn in, as often happens when the gospel is preached boldly, had drawn in many who were from pagan uh, culture, pagan religion, steeped in other faiths, who had difficulty discerning where the lines ought to be drawn between the faith that had been delivered to them, the gospel of truth, and their old faith. And though Colossae is, in terms of Paul's personal life and ministry, one of the least important of the cities of Asia to him personally, it was to this church that he wrote his most significant and memorable statements about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His overriding purpose in writing to them is to clarify the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and to make sure that the heresy they are entertaining makes no lasting headway in that church. Paul was a brilliant man, that's an understatement. And with his keen intellect and his tender heart and his iron will, he is combating a false teaching that diminishes the person and the position of the Lord Jesus Christ and makes him out to be less than he really is. The city of Colossae is in the Lycus River Valley, roughly 100 miles from the regional capital, the city of Ephesus. And it was within about 10 miles of two other churches where a work had been established in this era. The church at Hierapolis and the church at Laodicea. And though it was only a few miles removed, certainly there can be uh, no greater contrast between two congregations than between the church at Colossae 
and the church at Laodicea, where we see the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 3 knocking on the door from the outside trying to get into the church at Laodicea. There were many Jews in Asia Minor, and though it was not all of the problem, part of the problem in Colossae was, uh, were those teachers who were called Judaizers, who had received the gospel gladly, but who felt compelled to keep all of the ritual and ceremonial law of Judaism, and who taught that before someone could come to faith in Jesus Christ and know the fullness of salvation, they must come to him by way of Moses, by the keeping of the law. And so Paul is combating the Judaizers on one side and others, perhaps a Gnostic heresy, which we have seen uh, in focus in the letters of John, on the other side, a Gnostic heresy which would diminish the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians are companion letters. They very obviously, by virtue of their content, were written in the same period of time. They were carried by the same messenger who hand-delivered the letter to the churches. His name was Tychicus. And both of them deal with the church, but they have different major emphases. In the book of Ephesians, it is the church, the body of Christ, that is most precisely in focus. Whereas in the book of Colossians, it is Christ above all, the head of the body that is in focus. And so look with me, if you would, to the text of the book of Colossians. I encourage you to have your Bible open, to leave it open if you do not have a Bible. There should be one near you in one of the pew racks. The message from Colossians 1, 1 through 8, entitled Love for the Saints, will simply develop the text of Colossians 1. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, here in focus is the saved and the faithful. Beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The letter comes from Paul. We are familiar with his name. We may not always keep in focus or even be aware of his place in history, but it is a fair statement to say that it was the Apostle Paul, more than any other human instrumentality, who was instrumental in planting the gospel in the influential areas of the Roman Empire. And by virtue of the influence he had, he almost single-handedly helped to determine the course of world history because the history of Western civilization 
since the birth of Jesus Christ is largely the history of the spread and influence of Christianity. These are his words. It is a letter from him. He identifies himself as an apostle, and in our way of thinking, that is a high title reserved for a very few select leaders. And certainly it is that. But in its meaning, it simply refers to one who is sent with the authority of another with specific instructions to deliver a specific message. You know, it is remarkable to me, and it is another subject for another day, what uh, liberties and license are taken with the Scriptures and blamed on uh, liberty of conscience and priesthood of the believer when the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed the Lord Jesus Christ himself, saw themselves as only and always doing specifically what God said, repeating specifically God's words, and never one time did any of them consider themselves a free agent theologically. The Lord Jesus Christ, pre-existent, eternal with the Father from, uh, the very, from before the beginning, he said, I only speak the words of my Father. Paul saw himself as the servant of Jesus Christ, not as an executive. He was an apostle by the will of God. He had been appointed an apostle. He had not sought the role. He was only what God had made him, and in reality there are no self-made men or women. There are only those who have been uh, made by their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to realize their potential and those who refuse to let God make them and go their own way. It is also from Timothy. Though they were widely separated in age, Timothy was Paul's most faithful and trusted companion, his son in the ministry. And they are sent by Jesus Christ. To the saints, that is all believers, and the faithful, those who are trustworthy and trusting, who are at Colossae. William Barclay makes this uh, observation. He writes to the Christians who are in Colossae and who are in Christ. A Christian moves in two spheres. He is in the city, the place, the society where he happens to stay in this world, but he is also in Christ. He lives in two dimensions. He lives in this world, and he does not take the duties and the relationships of this world lightly. He fulfills every obligation to the world in which he lives. But above and beyond that, he lives in Christ. In this world, he may move from place to place. But wherever he is, he is in Christ. That is why outward circumstances make very little difference to the Christian. His happiness and peace and joy are not dependent on them. Things can change. But the fact that he is in Christ never changes. Happiness, joy, and peace 
dependent only on Christ. And we endeavor to live according to His will. Paul desires for them grace and peace from the Father. It is His grace that gives us faith. It is His grace that produces our peace with God and gives us the peace of God in our hearts day by day. Here is the saved and the faithful. And then notice in verses 3 and 4, here is the mark of the Christian. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. He is thankful for their faith and their love. They have faith in Christ, therefore they have love for each other. It is the unified message of the New Testament that you cannot have one without the other. They are the two legs on which the Christian lives and moves and functions. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. The life of Christ within us demands Christian fellowship. Notice that his thanksgiving for them precedes his prayer for them. And that certainly is correct in thought because faith in Christ must be accompanied by proper conduct. And the heart of proper conduct is love for others because Christ loves them and His life is in them. You will love them if you love the Lord Jesus. Love for the Lord Jesus Christ is demonstrated by our love for each other. And faith which is the root of the Christian life, bears the fruit of Christian love for each other. Notice in verses 5 and 6, he speaks of the word of truth. He gives thanks to them, beginning in verse 5, for them, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. The word of truth. Hope, in the world's terminology, is a, is a, a wish. It is something that we, we hope almost against hope. That we wish, though the wish seems to be frustrated for something that in our human experience never comes to pass. But when the New Testament talks about hope, as often it does, it never talks about hope as a maybe so proposition. Now it talks of hope in terms of the future, it talks of hope in terms that can all not, not always be measured and touched and quantified, 
but it never talks of a hope that may come to pass. In the Bible, hope is a certainty. We build our lives the way God built His universe. Millennia before the scientific discovery that all matter was made of particles which could not be seen with the naked eye. Paul wrote that he made the things that we see out of things which cannot be seen. And that is the way our hope is. Our lives are built on a solid foundation. The hope that is ours because of God's revealed truth. But it cannot be seen except to the eyes of faith. And so when Paul talks of hope, he is talking about something of which there is no doubt. We have a secure hope promised in the word of truth. It is all now ours and we shall take full possession of it when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for us at His second coming or when we meet Him as the angel of death comes for us. Because of the shed blood of Christ and His resurrection, all is ours. Now, in this passage, as in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and elsewhere, faith and hope and love are all linked together. Only those who are in Christ, who love others, have real hope. Faith is the soil in which love grows. And hope is the sunshine which produces growth. The word of truth, the gospel... And there's a parallel verse in Ephesians 1, verse 13. The word of truth. It was ever the emphasis of Paul that there are some things that are not open to negotiation. That there are some truths that cannot be compromised. That uh, it is not a matter of local option. You know, if you are a Christian on one side of the planet, based on your culture and your tradition you have a meeting and you all agree that certain things are true. And if you are a Christian on the other side of the planet, then the, the essentials of the faith bear unmistakably the stamp of the culture. No. True Christianity in its essentials is the same everywhere it occurs. Now, obviously, we we express our faith according to our culture, according to the way we know, the way we've been taught, according to the heritage of faith that we have come out of. And you could go into Eastern Europe and worship with people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe the Word of God, whose hope is more real and solid than yours perhaps because it's been tested more. And you might feel totally alienated because of their style of worship. But the essentials of the faith are the same. 
Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the one and only way to the Father, and every human being who ever lived will be judged eternally, either to damnation or to eternal salvation, based on their reaction and their relationship to Jesus Christ. That never changes. But in Asia, there were many, many variations. There were false gospels growing out of local beliefs. It was very much like Jeremiah wrote of uh, the lamentable condition of the people of God in his age as he said to them, you have as many gods, O Israel, as you have towns. It was very much like that. The word of truth. Truth is the content of the word. Gospel, that is good news, is the character of the word. And Paul says that the gospel always bears fruit. A tree that does not bud is a dead tree. And a religionist with no fruit is not alive in Christ. Where there is life, there is fruit. The gospel increases also. And Paul calls that as a witness to the truth of the gospel, that it is growing and increasing throughout the world. It is more than a creed. It is transforming power. It is truth, good news. It is universal. It is productive. It is gracious. And it is carried from mouth to mouth. It spreads from one person to the next. Then consider in verses 7 and 8. Here is follow the leader, beginning in verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Epaphras started the church. Paul was an outsider at Colossae. He had never been to Colossae. At this time, he had not yet been to Rome. And yet, because of his calling, having been sent as an apostle from the Lord, he steps in and expects them to respond and to follow. He commends Epaphras to them as God's man. They learned from him, and they are to continue to do so. They are not to blend the gospel with the pagan religions. And we will examine uh, that matter quite closely in Colossians 2, verses 8 to 15. This letter is for loving hearts who will read and respond in loving obedience to the Father. It is faith which lays hold of the cross. It is hope that looks forward to glory. And it is love which reaches out to others. 
though we do not know a great deal about the heresy of the Colossians, that is, Paul does not name it and state it uh, explicitly, we do know, we can observe, that this heresy apparently had respect for Jesus Christ. But yet it diminished the fullness of who he was. This is a very important observation by Everett Harrison. The most dangerous heresies the church is called on to combat are not those which openly assail the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather those which subtly detract from him while giving the appearance of honoring him. All who perceive this danger will treasure Colossians as a manual for exposing those points of view which have many good things to say about Christ, but then proceed to dim the luster of his glory by diminishing his preeminence. Our hope is that through the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father, we will have in this life happiness, peace, and joy, and in the next life, a lasting reward. Loyalty to Christ may cost you, but it will cost you nothing worth having. And I promise you by observation, by experience, by the Word of God, that no matter what it is, that stands between you and what in your heart of hearts you know God wants you to do and wants you to be is not worth the price that you are paying for it. Paul tells us, writing to Corinth, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. The question that we answer in the choices that we make as Christians is what we would rather have. The pleasure or the gratification or the satisfaction of fulfilling desire or ambition or the eternal smile of the loving Heavenly Father. He talks much in this letter of faith. It is important that we are aware that it is not the character of the faith, and it's not the kind of faith, nor the amount of faith that saves. Rather, as Dr. Ironside said, it is the person in whom the faith is placed. The strongest faith in self-effort or in the church, or in religious observance, leaves the soul lost forever. But the feeblest faith in Christ, who died and rose again, saves eternally. Some people try to make a savior of their faith, but Christ alone is the savior. 
and faith is but the hand that reaches out to him. The word of God, heard, internalized, gives faith, which produces a loving response to God and to others. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you that you have given us the Lord Jesus Christ, who is preeminent in all things. Father, I pray that you would give us each a glimpse of what we are apart from your love and your grace, that you would give us a glimpse of what we are intended to be as we walk with you, and that you would give us the faith and the courage to take the first step that will lead us from where we are to where you want us to be. Father, penetrate our defenses, whatever they may be. Show us our sin. Open arms of love. Receive us as we repent so that we may be more like Christ. I pray in His name. Amen. During this time of invitation that we are about to have, we will sing as a hymn of commitment, hymn 325, Footsteps of Jesus. I do not know your heart or your need, but I do know that the answer to all that is wrong and all that is missing is the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to confess publicly your faith in Him as Lord and Savior, to let us pray with you about your eternal soul and your eternal destination. I invite you to join this congregation if God would lead you to invest your life here as a member of this fellowship. I invite you to kneel and pray in repentance and commitment. And if what he would have you do does not involve a public commitment, I encourage you as strongly as I can to do business with him privately. There is no worship without response. You never have to leave unsatisfied, unfulfilled. It's not a function of the weather. It's not a function of the time or of the message or of the music. It is always a matter of whether we have responded to him personally. What he would have you do, do, do it right now, do it quickly as we stand while we sing.